0: Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us today at New City Church. As we begin, I just want to mention something really quickly that's starting next week, which is our quarterly five days of prayer and fasting. We do this once a quarter at New City Church. We just take five days and go to the Lord in prayer. And so next week we'll have more information. We'll have these cards and we'll have we'll text you send some stuff online if you're not going to be here. But here's all this is us taking some intentional time to seek the Lord and through some sort of dietary fast. There's nothing wrong with trying to abstain from social media or all these other things, but biblically speaking. A fasting has to do with food. Now, that could be fasting a couple 24-hour periods, fasting from a dietary food group, uh, could be fasting from one meal a day, and just to be honest, that's all I'm doing. I'm fasting from for one meal a day, Monday through Friday next week, and we'll give you these free little prayer cards, five things to just pray for, simple things, 10 minutes or less that you can do, and you, can, you and I can allow our hunger and, and our desire for other things remind us that we need the Lord. And so again, that's coming up next week. We'll send more information for you as well. But if you want to participate in that, just want to let you know. Now, as we uh, begin today, uh, we're continuing our series, Let's Talk About It. And I don't know if anyone is like this, or maybe you can relate to this. If you're married, maybe you have a spouse who sometimes has bad dreams about you, and then they wake up really mad at you. This happens at our household quite frequently. Christina has these dreams of things that I did not do. And for the whole day, it's like, that wasn't me. Like, I don't know why you thought, like I didn't do those things. And she's offended with me over something I had no control over. Like I was asleep the whole time. You saw, like you, I was there. And so I get get in trouble for things I didn't do. She gets offended, pretty mad sometimes at things. I didn't do. And here's what we also know in life and in culture today, it's just really easy to get offended. It's really easy to get upset over small things or big things. Maybe it's you're going to bed with your spouse and husbands, you kind of lay in bed, you look at your wife, you give her a little wink, and she looks at you and turns right over and goes to sleep, right? And you're kind of upset. You're feeling a certain way for a little bit. Or maybe wives, maybe your husband, you've asked him to do something 15 times over the last three months that would take him all of five minutes to do, and he still has not done it. Not that it has happened in our household, but if that happens to you, that's a, that's a time to get offended or to get upset. Or maybe you're single, and you have a friend that says, well, hey, guess what? You know, you just need to enjoy your singleness. Marriage is really, really hard. And you're like, Okay, Betty, who's had a boyfriend since you were 13 years old and got married when you were 20, you have no idea what it's like to be single, right? And so you can get uh, understandably offended or upset when something like that happens. And so today, here's what we are going to do. We are going to be talking about uh, forgiveness and what happens when we are offended. And so what I want to do in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, uh, it'll be on the screen. Today, we're going to be in various passages, so they'll all be on the screen. But of course, you can read along and the Bibles in front of you if you want to as well. But in Luke 17, Jesus is talking to his disciples about following him. And here's what he has to say. He says this. He said to his disciples, offenses will certainly come. But woe to the one through whom they come. You and I will get offended, will get hurt at various times in our life, and woe to those who, they, who cause those things to happen. Now, here's the thing. In the Greek, uh, the word that we have translated as offenses is the word scandalon, which is a trap, or more literally, it's the bait that triggers a trap to close when an animal touches it. This is what the Greek word that that Jesus is using to describe what offenses are. And a trap, of course, is to do one of two things. It's to cage something, or it's to cage something or catch something in order to kill it. And this, according to Jesus, is what our enemy does or can do with with our offenses. They can trap us in, and they can hold us to where we are because of what happened. And so I just want to say this as we begin. Uh, Being offended is inevitable, right? That will happen to all of us. But living offended is a choice. Now, it might be hard to choose not to be offended, but it is something that we have some control over. Or put another way, being hurt is inevitable. You and I will be hurt in our lives, but holding on to your, ch- your hurts is a choice, it can be a trap. And there's lots of different traps, right? Maybe you've bought some of them in your life. If you've ever had an ant problem, you might've bought little ant traps. Or if you're like us in our previous house, when Christina saw a mouse outside, she then the next day goes on Amazon and I see these packages arrive, like six super expensive, high grade mouse traps that are all around our house now. And I'm like, there is no mouse mice in our house at all. It was outside, but you know, you just get really freaked out. And so you buy these traps or anybody remember like the Chinese finger traps when you're a kid, right? Like, like you put, your finger in one side and your friend puts your finger in the other side and you feel like you're like stuck for the rest of your life. You don't know how to get out of them. Those are traps. Of course, there's animal traps where you, again, might put bait in a trap to trap an animal that is eating your vegetables or you're trying to hunt, various sorts of things. They trap. These are traps that contain things. And here's what happens with traps, right? They keep us, keep you, keep me from moving forward. And so today, as we continue our series talking about things that are difficult and relevant to all of us, we are going to be talking about forgiveness. Because here's what often happens, and here's often the reality for all of us, and that is that until you and I get to the place where we can forgive someone for what they have done, we can often get frozen in time, reacting to something that happened to us long ago and is keeping us from being able to move forward in our Lives. And it can be small things or it can be big things. So, for example, maybe you have a friend who says, I will never go to church again. Because when I was growing up, my dad would make us go to church every Sunday. And then he would hit my mom every Monday. And I will never have anything to do with church again. Now, that is a legitimate hurt. That is a legitimate offense. And because of that, it might restrict somebody from being able to move forward. Or maybe you'll say, I'll never trust anyone again after my ex spouse cheated on me, right? These are legitimate things that hurt us, legitimate things that wound us, and they can keep us stuck in the past if we are not careful, right? When these things happen, big or small, in our lives, we can't move forward because we are stuck in the past dwelling on them. It even happens with small things, right? Ever, ever had this happen where, like, you got in an argument with somebody, you're talking with someone, and you get really mad, and so, like, on the way home, you're out loud, oftentimes talking about, like, what you're going to say, or maybe you're taking a shower the next day, and you're thinking, oh, I should have said this, and then they would have said this, and then I would have said this. And by the way, isn't it funny? You always win those arguments. Like, is it, like, how do you always win? I don't know, but it goes exactly how you... think it's going to go. But even in those small things, right? whenever we think of it, we're automatically stuck back in the past to what happened to us. And so today, as we talk about forgiveness, I just want to start by saying this, the future that God has for you is too meaningful for you to remain where you are. It matters. God cares for you. He loves you. He has desires for you, for your life, and oftentimes our very legitimate hurts and wounds and hangouts can keep us from moving forward to those things. And so, again, as I'm talk- talking about feeling stuck, uh, some of you, you might be like, yeah, that's me. I get that. Like, when I think of this thing or when these things happen, it reminds me of this event, and I always go back to feeling stuck. Again, I just want to say this. We've said this in every week of this series, that God loves you and that God cares for you. He loves you and he cares for you. And I do not presume over the next few minutes to think that by the time we're done today and you walk out these doors, you'll be fully ready to forgive and you'll no longer be held back by what wounded you and what hurt you. I don't assume or presume that that is going to happen. But here's what I do know, that at the end of the day, this is what God ultimately wants for you. It's what I ultimately want for you. And it starts with being willing to forgive. It might not happen today, But we want to talk about some of the things we might do that will allow us to at least start exploring and going down that path. Now, here's the thing. Not only is forgiveness helpful, there's a lot of psychological studies about it, but that's not what we're really concerned about. Also, part of the reason we are doing this series is because we want to know what God has to say on these things. And God wants us to be a people who forgive. In fact, in Matthew 18, it'll be on the screen, uh, Jesus, or Jesus is talking to his disciples about some people who are doing some hard things and about reconciling people back into community after they hurt you. And then it says this, Matthew 18, verse 21, it says, then Peter, which is one of Jesus' disciples, approached him, who is Jesus, and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Now, again, this is significant because within ancient Judaism, uh, forgiving somebody three times was thought to be enough to show a forgiving spirit and a gracious spirit. Now, there are reasons for that. There's various passages in the Old Testament where people were forgiven three times or God forgave the Israelites or other nations three times before he acted. And so it was just kind of like, hey, if you forgive someone three times or being willing to forgive someone three times, like that's enough to show that you've forgiven them, but then no more. And so when Peter says seven times, he's really trying to be generous here. Like we just meant to forgive someone seven times. That's over and above. Is that what you want us to do? When people wound us. But then Jesus says this in verse 22 He says, I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. In other words, like all things when it comes to following Jesus, it's not about a box to check or getting something done to move forward and be like, I'm good, I've done what God's asked me to do, I'm all good with that. What it is, more than anything, it's a posture. It's a heart stance that Jesus is after. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that forgiveness is not something that should run out after a certain number of uses, but it's a a posture and an attitude of somebody who follows Jesus, that we should be inclined to desire to forgive other people, even if it takes some time, even if it doesn't happen right away. It's not about saying, "I've I've forgiven seven times, I'm done, but having a posture of continually desiring to forgive. Now, that, that being said, let me just be really honest this morning. This sounds really nice, and theoretically, we know we're supposed to do this. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning or you've been to church for a while, like you know, like we got to forgive, and I know we should forgive people, and I want people to forgive me, but it's really hard when you have had some really difficult things happen to you. Right? If you have had a spouse who has cheated on you, it's really easy to say that someone needs to forgive, but that's not an easy thing to forgive, but right, if you've been the victim of physical or sexual abuse, and you hear someone, call, someone up here saying, we're going to talk about forgiveness today, listen, that's really, really difficult to talk about. If a doctor misdiagnosed a loved one of yours who is no longer here because of that misdiagnosis, that is extremely difficult to forgive. Or maybe someone did a shady business deal with you and their lack of integrity has reti- has ruined all of your retirement plans or your next 10-year, 20-year goal because of what someone else did to you. That is really difficult to walk through. And so when we say things like forgiveness, it sounds really nice, but here's what I know. There is a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of defense mechanisms that rise up within us when we talk about forgiveness because of what has happened to you. And part of the other reason it's hard for us to talk about this is because there is a lot of dumb things about forgiveness that smart Christians believe. There's a lot of dumb things about forgiveness that really smart Christians, maybe even some of us at times, say things with really good intentions that are not helpful and are not true. And so when we talk about forgiveness, like, I I can't do that. And so here's what I want to do. I want to do real quickly, as we're talking about forgiveness, I want to start by sharing with us six things that forgiveness is not. I got this from Josh Howerton, a pastor in Texas, and I thought this was really, really helpful. And so when we talk about forgiveness, here's what we're not saying, okay? Six quick things. Number one, forgiveness is not forgetting. It is not forgetting what happened to you happened. And there's nothing that can change that, right? If you were deeply wounded, you will never forget what happens to you. And what sometimes happens is people might point to the verse, for example, in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah, where it talks about God for, or remembering your sins no more, right? God will remember your sins no more. And then we say, well, God will forget what we've done. And so we should forget what others have done to us, but of course that's not what this passage is actually saying. What that passage is not saying is it's not saying that God start, uh, stopped being all-knowing when you ask for forgiveness. It's not like you're like God, I'm really sorry for this thing. And he's like I forgive you. Wait, what? For what? Wait, what did you do? Wait, what am I forgiving? Like that's that's not what's happening there. What Jeremiah is telling us is that he is no longer going to relate to us on the basis of our sins. It is not that our sins didn't happen, and it is certainly not that our sins don't matter, but that he takes them ultimately through, for, through Jesus on the cross for us. That he no longer relates to you on the basis of your sins, but not that your sins don't matter or that he somehow forgot what you and I did. Again, what this means for us is that you can choose how you interact, you can choose not to stew, you can choose not to allow hurt or bitterness to build up in your heart towards someone who hurt you, but you cannot choose not to remember what was done for you. That's not a thing. So forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is also not waiting for an apology. It is not waiting for an apology. Some people can be so prideful and so arrogant that they will never apologize for what they did. Other times people might have done something to you and might not even have known that they hurt you or they wounded you so of course they're not going to apologize. In fact, I I don't know why, but I have like this fear that pops up for me from time to time thinking of like when I was in school, like everyone seems to have these stories about somebody who said something or did something like really mean or hurtful to them. And I, I wasn't like a bully, but like I was a kid, like all kids say dumb things. And I just wonder is like is there anything today that people uh, somebody still remembers that I said about them? Because, and I don't have no idea. Like, I can't forgive him. I don't like, it's like, is there a pastor today talking about forgiveness? When I was in eighth grade, this kid named Dylan, oh, he was a jerk, right? And I, I have no idea. Like, I can't apologize. I don't know. Or maybe you realize later something you did to hurt somebody, but you no longer see or have any communications with that person anymore. And so you can't actually apologize. And so forgiveness is not waiting for an apology because it may not ever actually come. Forgiveness is also not ceasing to feel pain. It is not ceasing to feel pain. Listen, it is not until Jesus returns that he will wipe away every every tear from our eyes. And so from now on, until we meet Jesus face to face, uh, until we meet him fully, our hurts will always be with us. And so just because you feel the sting of pain and hurt and shame or whatever happened to you, it does not mean that you cannot or have not forgiven because forgiveness is not ceasing to feel pain about what happened to you. Forgiveness is also not a one-time event. It is not something we do once and then forget about it. Again, even in the passage we read in Matthew, Jesus himself tells us that we will have to forgive over and over again. And maybe it's because someone has wounded you multiple times or maybe because what happened was so big that different times and points in your life, even though you chose to forgive, there are waves of emotions that hit you or something that is set or a trigger that goes off that brings you back to that moment when you were deeply hurt and deeply wounded. And you go back to feeling how you originally felt. In those moments, you and I have to choose to forgive over and over again. Forgiveness is also not Trusting. It is not trusting. Just to be real honest, right? If Uncle John abused the kids, Uncle John can never be alone with the kids again. It doesn't matter if reconciliations happen and forgiveness. and he, can, he, does not, he no longer has that trust, even after forgiving him, right? Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing at all. And what's really unfortunate when it comes to forgiveness too is that sometimes healthy boundaries have to be set up because of what has been happened to you. And the people that have wounded you will then get mad at you as a, and, assume, and say things like, well, you're not forgiving or forgetting like Jesus did. Like Jesus wouldn't set up these boundaries. And that, here's the thing, you and I, we are not Jesus. We follow him, we want to be like him, but we are not God. And so having healthy boundaries in place or having trust that is broken does not mean you have not forgiven somebody. It just means that you are being wise about what the future relationship is going to look like. So you can forgive someone and not trust them anymore. And regardless of what they said, does not mean you haven't actually forgiven them. Now it could, but it doesn't actually mean that just because you have set up boundaries and so you can forgive someone, it does not mean you have to trust them again. And then lastly, forgiveness is not reconciliation. It's not reconciliation. Here's the thing. It takes one person to forgive, and it takes another person to repent and apologize, which therefore means it takes two people to reconcile. And some people, again, as we talked about, will never apologize what they've done, either out of pride or ignorance, like they just don't know, which means you will never be able to reconcile. Or maybe they don't want to reconcile. So regardless of what you want, reconciliation might not be possible or may not happen, but it does not mean you can't still forgive. So when we talk about forgiveness, again, it's not forgetting. It's not waiting to hear an apology. It's not ceasing to feel pain. It is not a one-time event. It is not trusting them all over again. And it is not reconciliation. But here is what forgiveness actually is. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, or sorry, Romans chapter 12. He puts it this way. He says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Which means, again, if that person refuses to acknowledge what they did or refuses to change their behavior, that is not on you. You cannot make them happen, that happen, and you should not feel guilty about like it's your fault if it doesn't happen, right? You can love people and you can forgive people. And some people, it is best if you love them from a distance. Some people, it's best if you love them with boundaries. Uh, they can be loved from a distance. Forgiveness has nothing to do with them, but it has to do with us. And so the relationship might look different, different for wise and good reasons, but it doesn't mean you still can't choose to forgive them. And again, I just want to say this because I know there's a lot of things that come in mind when we talk about forgiveness. If if you're like me and you hear this, it still leads to a deep problem within you. Like this idea of forgiving people, particularly who have wounded you multiple times or have done things that are really devastatingly hard for you. Right? All of this sounds nice in theory, but practically it's really unfair. It is really unfair to forgive someone who took something from you, who abused you, who lied to you, who stabbed you in the back, who ruined your life in some way. It is so unfair. But hear me, this is the gospel. The gospel is unfair. That Jesus would come and live as a perfect man, die the death that we deserve, and resurrect from life again so that you and I can experience grace and forgiveness. Even though we've done nothing to deserve it. The good news of what Jesus does, that he forgives and that he redeems not because of us, but in spite of us, that's unfair. In fact, 1 John puts it this way. One of Jesus' followers, he says this, if we confess our sins... Not if we try really hard, not if we promise never to do it again, not if we set up all of these rules and regulations or healthy boundaries so that we won't do it again. But right now, when we confess, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not some, not the ones that aren't that bad, but all of it. When we do what? When we confess. Not when we promise Not after a couple of months of really good behavior, but right here, right now, and that is unfair. And so in response to that, we forgive others because Jesus has forgiven us. In response to what he has done and through the power of his spirit, we forgive others, right? Because followers of Jesus, at the end of the day, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning or if you're watching online, followers of Jesus do what? They follow Jesus. And Jesus is the God of forgiveness. And there is nothing, there is not a single thing that Jesus won't forgive you from if you repent and turn to him. And so as followers of him, even though it's hard, and even though it's difficult, he invites us to do the same thing for others so others can experience the same forgiveness that he has given us. And so here's what this means for us. That if God can forgive you, you can forgive others. If God can forgive you, you can forgive others. Now listen, this does not mean it is easy. And it does not mean you have to want to do it. And it does not mean it will happen right away. But it does mean that you can. It might not be easy. You might not want to do it. But it does mean that you can. It kind of makes me think of, when we talk about like forgiving people and, uh, you know, saying, you know, know, forgiving people after they apologize or whatever, it makes me think of like our kids. So we've got a seven-year-old Finley, and she is so sweet. Uh, in fact literally last week she won this award i guess i don't know how often they're doing it's the first one time but like the kids vote for the kindest kid in the class and she won and over half the kids voted for her right i mean this is finley and i'm like the teacher's gonna have to like do like the participation trophy and be like you can't win it anymore because she will win it every time this is just finley she's super sweet and then i have a four-year-old son named roman and he's awesome, okay? If you, you know, he's just awesome, but he's not Finley. And so what happens, though, is like as parents, when they hurt one another, we tell them they have to apologize. And then many times after they apologize, the other person will say, I forgive you. Now, the problem is Finley will forgive Roman for anything. And it's okay if he stole a toy or if he, like, took something from him. That's different. But sometimes, even as kids, they can do some pretty mean stuff. And so I've actually told Finley, I say, hey, Finley, it's so kind, it's so sweet that you want to forgive him. I want you to know, if you, you do not have to forgive him right away. If it, like, you do not, because here's what I know. She is so sweet. She was so kind. She will go through her life forgiving everyone because it's the right thing to do, that if she doesn't do it, that her parents or that God might be mad at her. It is okay if it's going to take her some time. Again, I know we're followers of Jesus, but we are not Jesus. And we, ha- we are in process and we take steps and we can have a posture of desiring to forgive. But if you cannot forgive someone right away, that is okay. The goal is not to say you must forgive them right now. The goal and the hope is to say, God, would you give me a heart to help me start taking steps towards, towards wanting to forgive or towards being able to forgive? But I need your spirit to help me. So if God forg- can forgive you, you can forgive others, but it might be hard and it might not happen right away. And that's okay. If God forgives you, you can forgive others. Now here's, what I, here's, here's what's also true. When we talk about forgiveness, I know for many people, you, what comes to mind is things that you have done to other people. But what I also know is that many of us, as we talked about a, k- a couple weeks ago, have a lot of shame and a lot of regret. And if God can forgive you, here's what this also means, that you can forgive you. If God can forgive you, You can forgive you. Your issue might not be what has been done to you, but what you have done to yourself or what you have done to other people. And you feel the weight and the guilt and the shame, and it's not unfair, and I'm a terrible person, and that is what is holding you down. And listen, I just wanna say this you're not in charge. If you have a hard time saying, God cannot forgive me, here's the thing you're not God, so you don't make the rules. If God who has come and said, I am going to give my life for anyone who is, what does it say in 1 John? Who confesses. Not who tries really hard. Not who goes back and pays everyone back for any wrong that they've done. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do to try to right wrongs. You should do that. But, but it's not about doing, paying everyone back and getting 100%, 100% back to level playing field. It's about confessing and being honest with the Lord who created you, who has seen all of it, and whom all of our sins are against. Again, the gospel is not you tried really hard. The gospel is that God has come to do for you what you cannot do for yourself, what you, may not think you don't do, what you may not think you deserve because you don't deserve it. And so if God can forgive you, you also can forgive you. It might be hard. You might have a hard time believing it this morning. But the truth of the gospel is that God redeems other people for their mistakes and their sins, and he redeems you from yours. If God can forgive you, you can forgive others, and you can forgive yourself. And here's why. Again, we talk about this seems all unfair. Here's why all this is possible, okay? Because justice comes from Jesus. At the end of the day, justice for all of our sins and all of our wrongdoings come from Jesus. Right? When God, when we when we confess our sins, what does it say? That God no longer counts our sins against us. He no longer relates to us on the basis of our sins, but on the basis of our righteousness and forgiveness because of what Jesus has done for us. And so if you are a Christian here this morning, you just need to be reminded that Jesus took your sin and your failure with him on the cross. It's not to say your sin doesn't matter, it's not to say that your sin should be forgotten. but that God nailed it to him of the cross, that Jesus, who for all eternity had perfect communion with God the Father, literally experienced hell because of you and me, that the Father turned his face away. Their communion was broken because a holy, righteous God could not be in the presence of evil and wickedness and sin. And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, justice was taken on Jesus for your behalf. There has been justice for you. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, you will also experience your your justice with total separation from the Father. At the end of the day, that is God giving us over to our desires. Have we confessed and committed our need for the Lord? Or have we said, I'm good enough on my own. I do not need it. And I do not need you. Justice does and will happen either from our own desires or because of what Christ has done for us, and we accept his forgiveness and his redemption for our sins, right? We have been forgiven, listen to me, far more than anything we will be asked to forgive another person. Every time we have sinned, we are turned our back against what God would want for us and how God would want us to treat ourselves and other people. Every sin we have ever committed has been a dishonoring of God and other people. God will always, whatever we have been asked to forgive someone for what they've done, even if it was really, really difficult, God will have always forgiven us more than what one person has done for us. And here's the deal. Ultimately, at the end of the day, if you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus or I'm striving to follow Jesus, here's reality for all of us. We can carry our crosses or we can carry our grudges, but we cannot carry both. We can carry our crosses, that Jesus says, come and follow me, and it is going to be hard, and you're going to have to trust me, or we can hold on to and carry our grudges, but we cannot carry both. In fact, Paul goes on to say this in verse 19, after verse 12, when he says, live at peace with everyone, he then says this, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I, will repay, says the Lord. Now hear me, this is a promise. This is probably not like a coffee cup promise that you would put on a coffee mug, like vengeance. Mm -mm. Can I have some extra sugar with that? Like That's probably not right. But it is a scripture promise that this will happen. And what you and I have to decide, to be quite frank, is will we trust him? Will we trust that vengeance belongs to him, that redemption is taken on Jesus, or that he will one day repay all wrong for people who said we do not need Jesus? Will we trust him with that? right, again, when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, the thing that sounds so nice, and in theory we say, yeah, we want to do that, this is part of what it looks like, that I will seek to honor and to trust God even when I don't want to, even when it doesn't seem fair, and even when it doesn't make sense that I'm going to ask the Lord to give me a posture or at least a desire for forgiveness, even if everything in me says I should never forgive that person. I will seek to honor and trust the Lord even when I do not want to. This is part of what it looks like to take up your cross, my cross, and follow him. Now, again, I just want to say this again. I know all of this sounds really good. Like in theory, we love this idea of forgiveness, right? We want to be forgiven. We know that God has forgiven us. Or if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you need to know that God has offered that to you, if you will. Accept it and trust him and confess your sins. And so we love this idea. But again, if you have been deeply wounded, it is really, really hard. I mean, how do you forgive people for some of the things we've said here or some of the things you read on the news or some of the things that have happened to you? That you might think, I'll, I'll never be able to get over. I'll never be able to move forward. I'll never be able to release that person from what they have done. I can't do it. And listen, if you're here this morning and that's you, I, I hear you. And here's what I would just, I just want to say this. I, I just want us to know this when it comes to the really hard thing about forgiveness. And that is knowing that forgiveness is first a choice. And second, a feeling. Or forgiveness is first a decision and second, a feeling. Listen, it is okay if you do not feel it yet. It is okay if the wound was so fresh or so deep or so big that you are not quite there where you can say, I forgive you. But here's the thing you can follow Jesus even on days when you aren't feeling it. You can love your spouse even during seasons that you are not feeling it. You can work hard at your job when you are not feeling it, you have, but you have to decide. You have to decide first, and then you have to let your feelings follow. If you and I wait to how we feel about it, there are many things that we will never do that Jesus asks us to do. Like nobody, for most of us, we don't wake up feeling like I want to be super generous or I want to be super gracious or I want to be super forgiving. Now we ask the Lord through his spirit to help us get us to that place where we desire it, but we still might not always be there. Forgiveness is first a decision and second a feeling. And what I want to do to close is I want to invite the band up on the stage and i want to read to you a story of what this actually looks like of how forgiveness is something that all of us can do, even if it's really difficult, if we want to decide to follow Jesus and take up our cross. I wanna share with you this story. This is a story from Corey Ten Boom. She was a Holocaust survivor. You can read her story in her biography called The Hiding Place. I read it last year, it's really, really fascinating, and it's sad, but it's quite amazing. And basically, uh, her and her family lived in Holland during World War II. It was a strong Christian family, and when the Nazis came in and occupied their country, the Ten Boom family took in Jews. They actually altered their house to hide them. Their house is still there today. It's like a little mini museum. You can go in Holland and see like what they did to their house to hide the Jews who would come and go and all these sort of things. And they became a part of the underground railroad movement to help the Jews escape Nazi captivity and get through countries that were still free. Well, eventually the Ten Boom family was betrayed and turned into the Nazis from a close friend, right? Because a lot of people in Holland yeah, as, as often happened, human nature, started to also join the Nazi forces, maybe out of survival, or just not wanting to get in trouble. Or if you've ratted someone out, you would get certain rewards and more food rations and various things. And so there was incentive to stop people from doing good things. And so they were eventually betrayed by a really close friend, which is really sad to hear. Um, and so they were uh, then deported to prisons and concentration camps, all of her family, for what they had done. Her father ended up dying in a Nazi prison because he was really old by the time that that happened. And her and her best friend and her close sister Betsy uh, went to a concentration camp called Ravensbruck, where her Be- sister Betsy died, uh, where they were both staying. And in 1947, after the war, she returned to Germany to preach forgiveness the forgiveness of God And she tells this story. It'll me a few minutes to read it, but I just want to show you the power of forgiveness and what God can do. She said it this way. This was in 1947. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People people were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth that they most needed to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I liked to think that that's where forgiven, forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever, His solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their wraps, and in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visor cap, with its skull and its crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you are. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now, he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly about forgiveness, Fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among the thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time he went on, I had become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. Uh, It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, but hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever ever had to do. And as I stood there, I, whose sins had every day be for, been forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? But I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives is a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will I for your, your father in, sorry, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had, come, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And so, as I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but I knew that forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. "I I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this, his, this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole building, being, uh, being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard, and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried, but didn't have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as I close this morning, here's what I know. I know some of you don't have that feeling. You just don't have that feeling. But I'm going to invite all of us to at least take a step towards a decision and praying that God would allow our feelings to follow. And so if you would join me in prayer, if everybody would just uh, close their eyes and bow their heads. And I'm gonna ask you to do something that might be kind of weird, but just ask you to go with it. Would you take your hands and put them out in front of you with clenched fists? Clenched fists your hands facing upward. And here's what I want you to do. I want you in a sentence to remind God what that person did to you. Right now, let's just be honest with the Lord. Would you take a second? Remind the Lord what happened to you. Let him know how you feel. Let him know how bad, how awful it was. Take a second. Remind the Lord what that person did to you or maybe what you did to you. And now I want you simply to open your hands and release it to God. Just open your hands with me and release it to God and let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgiveness is an easy thing to say and it is an exceptionally difficult thing to do. God, we need the power of your spirit to rest upon us so that we can forgive people. Just as we read the story of Corey Ten Boom, who did not have it in, in herself to forgive others, she needed your grace to do it. God, would you give us that same grace? Maybe today we're not quite there where we can fully forgive them or us for what we've done, but would you give our heart a posture of desiring to seek that direction? God, would you give us your spirit to do what so hard to do on our own, what you ask us not to do on our own, But as we follow and as we walk with you, you give us the courage to do so. Lord Jesus, I know there's a lot of pain in this room. There's a lot of hurt in this room. There's a lot of forgiveness that needs to happen, but it is so hard to do in this room. God, would you give us the spirit, the decision to trust you, to have a posture of forgiveness, just as you have a posture to us. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Would that be the same of us? for those who hurt and offended us. God, give us your strength. Give us your spirit to forgive. In Jesus' name we pray.